Chapter Thirteen of A Negro Explorer at the North Pole by Matthew A. Henson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen. March Nineteen. We left camp in a haze of bitter cold. The ice conditions about the same as the previous day. High rafters, huge and jagged, and we pickaxed the way continuously. By noontime we found ourselves alongside of a lead covered by a film of young ice. We forced the dogs, and they took it on the run, the ice undulating beneath them, the same as it does when little wanton boys play at tickly-benders, often with serious results, on the newly formed ice, on ponds and brooks down in civilization. Our tickly-benders were not done in the spirit of play, but on account of urgent necessity, and as it was, I nearly suffered a serious loss of precious possessions. One of the sledges driven by Awatingwa broke through the ice and its load, which consisted of my extra equipment, such as comics, mittens, etc., was thoroughly soaked. Luckily for the boy, he was at the side of the sledge and escaped a ducking. Foolishly, I rushed over, but quickly realizing my danger, I slowed down, and with the utmost care he fished out the sledge, and the dogs, shaken as with palsy, were gently urged on. Walking wide, like the polar bear, we crept after, and without further incident reached the opposite side of the lead. My team had reached there before me, and, with human intelligence, the dogs had dragged the sledge to a place of safety and were sitting on their haunches, with ears cocked forward, watching us in our precarious predicament. They seemed to rejoice at our deliverance, and as I went among them and untangled their traces, I could not forbear giving each one an affectionate pat on the head. For the next five hours our trail lay over heavy pressure ridges, in some places sixty feet high. We had to make a trail over the mountains of ice and then come back for the sledges. A difficult climb began, pushing from our very toes, straining every muscle, urging the dogs with voice and whip, we guided the sledges. On several occasions the dogs gave it up, standing still in their tracks, and we had to hold the sledges with the strength of our bones and muscles to prevent them from sliding backwards. When we had regained our equilibrium the dogs were again started, and in this way we gained the tops of the pressure ridges. Going down on the opposite side was more nerve-wracking. On the descent of one ridge, in spite of the experienced care of Utah, the sledge bounded away from him, and at a declivity of thirty feet was completely wrecked. The frightened dogs dashed wildly in every direction to escape the falling sledge, and as quickly as possible we slid down the steep incline, at the same time guiding the dogs attached to the two remaining sledges. We rushed over, my two boys and I, to the spot where the poor dogs stood trembling with fright. We released them from the tangle they were in, and, with kind words and pats of the hand on their heads, quieted them. For over an hour we struggled with the broken pieces of the wreck, and finally lashed them together with strips of ugsuk, seal-hide. We said nothing to the commander when he caught up with us, but his quick eye took in at a glance the experience we had been through. The repairs having been completed, we again started. Before us stretched a heavy old floe, giving us good going until we reached the lead, when the order was given to camp. We built our igloos, and boiled the tea and had what we called supper. Commander Peary called me over to his igloo and gave me my orders. 
first that i should at once select the best dogs of the three teams as the ones disqualified by me would on the following morning be sent back to the ship in care of the third supporting party which was to turn back secondly that i should rearrange the loads on the remainder of the sledges there now being ten in number it was eight p m when i began work and two the following morning when i had finished march twenty during the night the commander had a long talk with borup and in the morning my good friend in command of the third supporting party bade us all good-bye and took his detachment back to land and headquarters there were three eskimos and seventeen dogs in his party a fine and plucky young man whose cheerful manner and ready willingness had made him a prime favourite and he had done his work like an old campaigner at the time of borup's turning southward captain bartlett with two eskimos started out to the north to make trail he was to act as pioneer at ten thirty a m i with two eskimos followed leaving at the igloos the commander and professor marvin with four eskimos the system of our marches from now on was that the first party or pioneers which consisted of captain bartlett myself and our eskimos should be trail-making while the second party consisting of commander peary and marvin with their eskimos should be sleeping and while the first party was sleeping the second should be travelling over the trail previously made the sun was above the horizon the whole twenty-four hours of the day and accordingly there was no darkness either the first or second party was always travelling and progress was hourly made march twenty one captain bartlett got away early leaving me in camp to await the arrival of commander peary and marvin with their party and it was eight a m when they arrived commander peary instructed me to the effect that when i overtook the captain i should tell him to make as much speed as possible the going was for the first hour over rough raftered ice great care and caution had to be observed but after that we reached a stretch of undulated level ice extending easily fifteen miles and the exhilarating effect made our spirits rise the snow covering was soft but with the help of our snowshoes we paced off the miles and at noon we caught up with the captain and his boys together we travelled on and at the end of an hour's going we halted for our noon meal consisting of a can of tea and three biscuits per man the dogs doing the hungry looking on as dogs have done and do and will do for ever as we sat and ate we joshed each other and the eskimo boys joined in the good-natured raillery the meal did not detain us long and soon we were pushing on again as quickly as possible over the level ice fearing that if we delayed the condition of the ice would change for changes come suddenly and frequently without warning at nine p m we camped the captain having been on the go for fifteen hours and i for thirteen and we estimated that we had a good fourteen miles to our credit march twenty two was the finest day we had and it was a day of unusual clearness and calm practically no wind and a cloudless sky the fields of ice and snow sparkled and glistened and the daylight lasted for the full twenty-four hours it was six a m when egingwa the commander's eskimo courier reached our camp with the note of command and encouragement and immediately the captain and i left camp stretching to the northward was a brilliantly illuminated level and slightly drifted snow-plain our imperial highway presenting a spectacle grand and sublime 
and we were truly grateful and inwardly prayed that this condition would last indefinitely. Without incident or accident, we marched on for fifteen hours, pacing off mile after mile in our steady northing, and at nine p.m. we halted. It was then we realized how utterly fatigued and exhausted we were. It took us over an hour and a half to build our igloos. We had a hard time finding suitable snow conditions for building them, and the weather was frightfully cold. The evening meal of pemmican stew and tea was prepared, the dogs were fed, and we turned in. March 23. Our sleep-banked eyes were opened by the excitement caused by the arrival of Marvin and his division. He reported the same good going that we had had the day before, and also that he had taken an elevation of the sun and computed his latitude as eighty-five degrees, forty-six minutes north. We turned the igloos over to Marvin and his Eskimos, who were to await the arrival of the commander, and Captain Bartlett and myself got our parties under way. Conditions are never similar, no two days are the same, and our going this day was nothing like the paradise of the day before. At a little distance from the igloos we encountered high masses of heavily rubbled old ice. The making of a trail through these masses of ice caused us to use our pickaxes continuously. It was backing and filling all of the time. First we would reconnoitre, then we would hew our way and make the trail, then we would go back and getting in the traces help the dogs pull the sledges, which were still heavily loaded. This operation was repeated practically all the day of March 23, except for the last hour of travelling, when we zigzagged to the eastward, where the ice appeared less formidable, consisting of small floes with rubble ice between and a heavy old floe beyond. There we camped. The latitude was 85 degrees, 46 minutes north. The course from the land to the pole was not direct and due north, for we followed the lines of least resistance and frequently found ourselves going due east or west, in order to detour around the pressure ridges, floebergs, and leads. March 24. Commander Peary reached camp shortly after 6 a.m., and after a few brief instructions we started out, the going not as heavy as the day previous, but the sky overcast and a heavy drift on the surface made it decidedly unpleasant for the dogs. For the first six hours the going was over rough, jagged ice, covered with deep, soft snow. For the rest of the day it improved. We encountered comparatively level ice, with a few hummocks, and in places covered with deep snow. We camped at 8 p.m., beside a very heavy pressure ridge, as long as a city street, and as high as the houses along the street. March 25. Turned out at 4.30 a.m. to find a steadily falling snowstorm upon us. We breakfasted, and fifteen minutes later we were once more at work making trail. Our burly neighbour, the pressure ridge, in whose lee we had spent the night, did not make an insuperable obstacle, and in the course of an hour we had made a trail across it, and returned to the igloo for the sledges. We found that the main column had reached camp, and after greetings had been given, Commander Peary called me aside and gave me my orders to take the trail at once, to speed it up to the best of my ability, and cover as much distance as possible, for he intended that I should remain at the igloo the following day, to sort out the best dogs and rearrange the loads, as Marvin was to turn back with the fourth supporting party. My heart stopped palpitating, I breathed easier, and my mind was relieved. 
It was not my turn yet. I was to continue onward, and there only remained one person between me and the pole, the captain. We knew Commander Peary's general plan, that at the end of certain periods certain parties would turn south to the land and the ship, but we did not know who would comprise or command those parties, and, until I had the commander's word, I feared that I would be the next after Borup. At the same time I did not see how Marvin could travel much longer, as his feet were very badly frozen. Obedient to the commander's orders, the captain, I, and our Eskimos left camp with loaded sledges and trudged over the newly made trail, coming to rough ice, which stretched for a distance of five miles, and kept us hard at back-straining, shoulder-wrenching work for several hours. The rest of the day's march was over level, unbroken young ice, and the distance covered was considerable. March 26. The commander and party reached the igloo at 10.45 a.m. Captain Bartlett had taken to the trail at 6 a.m., and was now miles to the northward out of sight. I immediately started to work on the task assigned me by the commander, assorting the dogs first, so that the different king dogs could fight it out and adjust themselves to new conditions while I was rearranging the loads. At twelve noon Professor Marvin took his final sight, and after figuring it out told me that he made it eighty-six degrees thirty-eight minutes north. The work of readjusting the loads kept me busy until 7 p.m. While doing this work I came across my Bible that I had neglected so long, and that night, before going to sleep, I read the twenty-third psalm and the fifth chapter of St. Matthew. March 27. I was to take the trail at 6 a.m., but before starting I went over to Marvin's igloo to bid him good-bye. In his quiet earnest manner he advised me to keep on, and hoped for our success. He congratulated me, and we gave each other the strong fraternal grip of our honoured fraternity, and we confidently expected to see each other again at the ship. My good, kind friend was never again to see us, or talk with us. It is sad to write this. He went back to his death, drowned in the cold, black water of the big lead, in unmarked, unmarbled grave, he sleeps his last long sleep. End of chapter 13